Marco is the CEO and founder of Spring Health, a comprehensive mental health benefit for employers. April has received honors from the American Psychiatric Association and has been featured in Cranes, Wall Street Journal, and National Quality Forum. April Co. was named Forbes 30 Under 30 2018 in Consumer Technology, Business Insiders 30 Under 40 Leaders in Healthcare, the Goldman Sachs 100 Most Intriguing Entrepreneurs in 2019, World Economic Forum Technology Pioneer, and is a Yale Entrepreneurial Institute Fellow. April, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. At The Pulse, we have a tradition of asking our guests to share something interesting about your background. Is there something you can share with our audience? Yeah, this is actually on my LinkedIn, which I think is hilarious. And people who know who have been in classical music always get a kick out of it. But I was going to be a professional oboist and I went to Juilliard pre-college with the plan of of becoming a professional oboist and gave up that dream um, and glad that I did and instead became an entrepreneur. And also, I was a founder at six years old. I founded my church's tomboys club (laughs) and I was the president of this club. So I I was always entrepreneurial from a very early age. (laughs) That's incredible. Did you have a lot of traction with the tomboys club? I had so much traction. All the girls in the... (laughs) All the girls at church signed up and it was great. <laughs> That's hilarious. That's amazing. Um, we, first of all, are really excited to have you because Spring Health is at the intersection of mental health care and also something that's so evidence-driven and backed and is building a lot of popularity and adoption more broadly, especially with the latest funding round. And so before we dive into Spring Health itself, would love to help us set the context and to have you kind of help our audience understand how would you characterize the traditional mental health industry in the U.S. and how evolved up to the point where you started Spring Health? Yeah, absolutely. So we started the company off of the founding idea that faster access to mental health care is meaningless if the care doesn't actually work for you. And when we started the company five years ago, there was just a tremendous focus, a singular focus on improving access to care. But I knew from my own experience, having gone through so much trial and error in my own journey, I knew that you know, faster access isn't everything. In fact, it can only exacerbate the problem of trial and error if you get people faster access to the wrong thing for them. And so you know, we founded the company off with this idea that we should eliminate guessing and care, and we can do that through data and machine learning. And that's how we got started five years ago. It sounds like Spring Health was really born out of this need to address some of the efficacy gaps in mental health care. What was the industry like when you started in terms of popular models for care and what the digital offering atmosphere or environment was like? Yeah. So I would say there was already five years ago, a lot of digital innovation already happening, but again, it was around faster access. So Traditional care is profoundly broken in that there is so much guessing and no access to care. So, you know, the traditional experience would be that people would maybe wait months or years, maybe in denial, maybe they felt the stigma of mental health issues. And so they maybe they were in denial about needing help. And so maybe people would delay months or years before seeking care. But once people seek out care, 
it's really hard to find something that, that works for you. Um, and it's really hard to you know, even get your, your foot in the door and, and get access to something. So you might browse through psychology today, or you might ask around for, for therapy recommendations, but generally wait lists are very long. The average wait time to see a provider is, is 21 days in the US. And then once you see that provider, you might not jive with a provider and you might not you know, want to, to continue care with them, at which point you, you try again, you spend more months you know, trying to find another provider, schedule with them, get on their wait list and try, try them, you know, decide that you don't like that provider. And so it just keeps going on and on like that. And so five years ago, there was already a lot of innovation around you know, collapsing the wait times to access providers. And so there were apps that made it really easy to schedule with providers, see them you know, maybe on demand or next day. And that was like the first wave of innovation. But again, you know, when we started a company, we recognized that faster access isn't everything. And we recognized that you know, we have to go beyond faster access to faster recovery. And we could only do that by you know, getting care right from the start. And that is only possible through precision and through personalization. And it's only possible through treating each person as an individual and making sure that we're tailoring the mental health care to that individual. That's what ultimately motivated us to start the company five years ago. Can you walk me through a little bit more of how Spring Health gets to that point of precision medicine and personalized medicine? So I'm curious how the machine learning piece and the algorithmic nature of the offering differentiates Spring Health and specifically how that works to deliver a better care experience for the patient. Yeah, absolutely. So um, as I mentioned, I had a personal experience with mental health. I went through over you know, 10 years of, of trial and error in my own care. I went through multiple programs, multiple providers, even multiple medications. And so I was intimately familiar with this problem of trial and error. So I was really you know, obsessed with, with solving this problem. And I came across my now co-founder's kind of landmark paper in The Lancet Psychiatry, which is one of the, the top psychiatry journals in the world. And it was describing the first machine learning model proven to outperform the average psychiatrist in matching someone to the, to the right antidepressant for them. So it was a very specific model at the time, but, but it was still a landmark paper and it, it representing the cutting edge of what was possible in precision medicine within psychiatry, which we call precision mental health care. And uh, I read the paper. I thought this was the future of mental health. And so I reached out to him cold and we still laugh about the email thread that um, I initially sent. But, um, you know, I asked him to meet up with him. He promptly replied, like, why do you want to meet with me? <laughs> and, uh, and then, you know, we grabbed coffee and, and then be became friends and, and started the company together. And so that's how we got started. But to go back to your question around, you know, how it works, what was really novel about Adam's approach was that he, he was able to prove that the most predictive, the most accurate approach in precision psychiatry today is in using behavioral self-reportable variables to predict behavioral health outcomes. So when people hear precision medicine, you know, they often think, you know, genomics within psychiatry, they might think, oh, so I have samples, blood tests or brain scans or more biological data points to predict um, healthcare outcomes. But it turns out that in behavioral healthcare, the most predictive and the most accurate approach is actually still using, you know, self-reportable data points that you could collect through a digital questionnaire. And so, you know, what we did in the first, you know, two years was not only expand the algorithmic capabilities of the precision psychiatry models that we had, but we also created essentially an MVP 
that asked the user a set of questions and then essentially spit out a recommendation for their care. And that's the scientific foundation for Spring Health. Fascinating. And I can see how this model and this approach was novel at the time because, to your point, people might have been using other metrics or other ways to gauge outcomes and efficacy. With self-reporting, it does Spring Health help mitigate anything around people who, for example, may be more shy to report some things or may not be fully honest? Or how does Spring Health think about mitigating some of those issues that may come out with a more self-reported assessment? Yeah, I mean, there's always, you know, error in the data that we collect and absolutely confidentiality is is an issue. It's a challenge and people may not be completely or fully honest um, in, in their responses, but the assessments that we've created and the models that we created take that into account. Uh, and so, you know, we've tested this in the real world. We're using data points that are collected in the real world in the context of stigma uh, and imperfect with imperfect data. And we've been able to show that um, the, the model still works. And so you can't always get perfect, clean data, but you know, there's a lot of evidence to show that our approach still works in that context. I know we talked a lot about Spring Health's initial offering to the MVP and the genesis of the differentiation. Can you walk us through an overview of what Spring Health does today and how that may have evolved from? Yeah, absolutely. So as I mentioned, we had this IP that represented the forefront of precision mental health care. And we very quickly realized that in order to realize this vision that we had around data-driven care, we needed a lot of data very quickly, a lot of high-quality data very quickly. And so we wanted to create essentially an apparatus or a product that would allow us to collect a high amount of high-quality data very quickly. And so that motivated us to create um, essentially a full stack mental health care solution that included care delivery, that included a provider network that would give us a high degree of control uh, over the data we would collect from both patients and providers. And we essentially looked for a market that would be receptive to this full stack solution. And uh, we were looking essentially for a fast distribution across you know, many patients um, as quickly as possible. And the employer market really presented itself as a ready and rolling market. For about two years, we were building the IP, we were learning about healthcare, and we were just figuring out how best to realize this vision and what sequence of you know, go-to-markets would be most amenable to the data-driven vision that we had. And initially, we thought we were going to be a clinical decision support tool for PCPs who prescribe 80% of it, all antidepressants in the U.S. And so we created the software tool for health systems and, you know, we tried in earnest to sell successfully into health systems and work with providers. We got some traction, we got some revenue, but it just didn't feel right. Like there wasn't the clear momentum of product market fit behind what we were doing. And we realized then that the incentives were misaligned. The primary care providers were not incentivized to yet another software solution. And, and in some cases, they weren't even incentivized to um, really optimize the behavioral health outcomes of their patients. And so there were, there were multiple things that were flawed about that approach. And also we realized through that approach that we didn't have necessarily the amount of control that we wanted over the, the data that we could collect from providers and, and patients. And so that led us to create like a full stack model inclusive of care delivery that we ultimately sold to employers. But how we got there is really interesting. We were selling a health system and we would sell to health systems and they would take our pitches because, you know, we were just like, 
some eager young you know founders from Yale and and they they were I guess entertained by us and you know they would take these pitches and and everyone would, would always be on their phones they would just not really be paying attention but you know in one of our health system pitches someone said to us you know someone finally got off their phone and said to us you should talk to our HR department because our physicians and nurses are really burned out and they could use something like this and we were very hungry for product market fit. And so we took the intro, we talked to HR, their HR department. And that was the first time that eyes lit up and people were actually listening to our pitch. And it was, it just felt like we were onto something. And so from that moment on, we kind of dropped the health system, go to market and really aggressively pursued the employer market. And that's how we pivoted into the, the employer space. I can see the natural linkage initially to sell into the provider system, but employers, especially now with people becoming more sensitized towards mental health, looking for their employers to provide an offering that is something that they can access anywhere and is digitally native and something that does have proven efficacy. But it's tough when you're in the moment to see all of that triage. Yeah. So specifically on the Spring Health offering, so you mentioned that it's a full stack solution. So does that mean that you also employ your own mental health professionals to provide some of the offerings in addition to the digital service that helps diagnose initially what the patient's care journey should look like? Exactly. So I would say, you know, we do two things really, really well. We do multiple things very well, but like I would say our focus is on two things. The first is in precision. So really matching each person to what will work for them from anything from meditation or mindfulness exercising and coaching all the way down to medication and, and network referrals. And so that's that's one thing that we do really well. And the second thing that we've decided to do really well is outpatient care. So therapy and psychiatry. And so we built our own proprietary provider network. Uh, we have full-time, part-time and contractor uh, providers in our network. Our network operates much more like a national group practice than traditional provider network in that our operations are very, very centralized, and it gives us the ability to really influence the quality and the, the clinical outcomes um, that come from our services. And when I talk about full stack, when I say we're comprehensive, I mean, we're able to intake every person, they take a digital questionnaire, we create a personalized care plan for them, and then we give them seamless access into our provider network. We deliver the care through our providers, we track the patient over time. Make sure that they're they're getting they're actually getting better. We hold ourselves accountable to their clinical outcomes, uh, and then they're offboarded. The one piece that you mentioned too around this is making sure that you have continuity and integrity of data, especially as you think about the more longitudinal care of the patient. Something that, to something you mentioned earlier, isn't always the top prerogative or priority for a lot of traditional medicine. Just the way incentives are aligned in the healthcare system. So, in terms of this data. How do you think about where this data goes within the Spring Health System? I know it's Genesis' point is around academic research with the journal and the Lancet. And so does Spring Health think about using data both to publish thought leadership in the space and also to continue enriching the machine learning to improve the questionnaire and the way that Spring Health understands and provides care to patients? Yeah, precisely. So I would say, you know, data 
is a, in service of, of three big things. The first is just better clarity for systems, including employer systems and around population health. Really, our data allows employers to really get a granular look at the mental health of their employees. The second uh, main use of data is to improve the member experience. Um, so we use data to really obsessively try to optimize the user experience, make sure that each person is getting what they need um, and as quickly as possible. And then the last bit is we use data to enhance our precision mental health care capabilities. So everything in our lives is personalized these days. So if you go on Instagram, you have a personalized set of ads that you look at and your feed is personalized to you and you go on Facebook or Amazon and it's all personalized to you. And that's all through data. And so, you know, we have a similar vision for mental health care and we use data to advance our precision mental health care, which is ultimately our biggest differentiation. And you also mentioned kind of access to care as another pain point that Spring Health is looking to solve with the full stack offering. Also curious on then the payment model side and what payment plans you take, how Spring Health is thinking about value-based plans or plans that are not looking at just the traditional fee-for-service, but actually taking into account some of these quality outcome variables, which sounds like something Spring Health is differentiating itself with, given the machine learning and precision care. So to speak to our pricing or our business model, you know, at a very basic level, we are purely B2B, but we work exclusively with employers and health plans today. Um, and those those plans then subsidize the mental health care for their members. This is highly aligned with our mission because our mission is to eliminate every barrier to mental health, and it's not lost on us. The financial barrier to mental health is one of the biggest barriers to mental health today. So that's you know our payment model on a very basic level. But you're absolutely right that we want to start thinking about value based payment plans, um, and we're in the best position to start innovating in our in our pricing model because. We actually have the first or we've created the first pay-for-performance outpatient network ever. So we pay our providers based on their performance. Our top performing providers every quarter get more than others. And we're able to stack rank our provider performance in real time, unlike any other network, because of how centralized our operations are and because how data-driven our operations are. And so we can see at any given moment in real time, you know, which providers are producing the best outcomes, which providers are being the most efficient in their care, which providers are being the most operationally excellent. And we use those variables to pay our providers and pay them for their performance. So this allows us to pivot really nicely into value-based payment models for our customers. And so we're starting to innovate on that front today. When you talk about the provider angle, does the way that Spring Health thinks about adjudicating care and the way that the outcomes are measured, does that also feed into shaping the way providers think about how they distribute care and improve the way providers operate? Or do you find that from the provider adoption angle, there's a little bit of stickiness because a lot of providers traditionally are very used to doing things and administering care the way that they have been and historically have been a little bit slower to change? Yeah, that's such a good question. So... Providers get into mental health care because they fundamentally want to change and save lives. So the bottom line is most providers want to become better and better at their practice. And they are uniquely able to learn at Spring Health uh, through the data that we supply them with. And our framework, our mode of operations, it really stretches our providers. And we have very kind of formalized coaching 
um, programs for our providers. We um, we give them data, but we don't just give them the data. We give them, you know, opportunities and suggestions for how to improve. And and most providers love this. And and that's that's partially why we're able to attract the best of the best, and partially why they stay with us for so long. That's a really cool part of the model in terms of improving the inputs into the service. It sounds like several virtuous cycles that are happening where the data that's raised feeds into the way the operations are done, feeds into the way providers are administering care and the way patients intake their care. And that all kind of reinforces the whole ecosystem. So it's really cool to hear you kind of describe all the different parts and pieces and how they fit together. So I think from looking at other digital health offerings, that doesn't appear to be the case across a lot of other similar startups. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I want to pivot a little bit to forward-looking projections. So this past September, Spring Health raised $190 million in additional funding to close out the related Series C round. This means that to date, Spring Health has raised $300 million in total funding that puts Spring Health at a valuation of $2 billion and puts April as the youngest female to run a unicorn company. Congratulations. That's such a crazy milestone. I would love to hear what your near-term priorities are for this funding. Yeah. Well, thanks so much. I'm so flattering. And it's, it's really surreal to be labeled as the youngest one to, to run a unicorn. And I didn't even realize it until, I guess, Forbes pointed it out to me. But yeah, so our near-term priorities for, for the funding are a threefold. The first is going global. So we've heard loud and clear from our multinational customers in, in the U.S. that they want us to serve their entire employee base, um, not just the, the U.S.-based employees. And so we are expanding our, our platform and translating our platform to serve members globally. The second main priority is family. So we, we've heard from employers that they care deeply not only about their employees' mental health, but the mental health of their employees' family members. And there's such a tremendous need right now for children, for adolescents. The suicide rates are at an all-time high, and they just keep climbing. We're in a mental health crisis as we speak, and a lot of people are concerned about their family members. So family is another huge focus for us with this funding. And then the, the final piece is a little bit more unexpected, but it's something that I'm tremendously excited about. And it's our mission and our, our vision to create the most mentally healthy and the highest performing team in the world. So I don't think that companies have really married those two things, you know, high performance and mental health together in this way. And I think that we'll be the first to really do that. But I think that companies are starting to realize that they need to harmonize those two things and really prioritize both of those things. And so I want Spring Health as, as an employer and internally to build the strongest cultures, not only so that we can change our employees' lives and, and help them thrive, but also to take those learnings and you know, share those learnings with our customers. Thank you for sharing all three. Those sound like very needed and prioritized areas just given the current state with COVID and growing awareness around the need for mental health care to be international, especially with younger generations, obviously with the new information through the Facebook and Instagram interface, looking at the way that younger people are affected by some of these macro trends that they're facing. And then I love what you said in this third piece, because as somebody who has been in the workplace, it does often feel like it's a zero-sum game between putting in the hours that are needed to deliver product and also 
having some sort of work-life balance that helps you then recharge and recalibrate. And so to be able to harmonize the two elements sounds like a pivotal achievement, especially if you can then potentially roll it out to other employers. I think there's a lot of appetite for that, especially when employers think about employee retention and longevity. On this global piece, I'm curious how you're thinking about multicultural mental health care in general. So I know it's intended to be international, but also within the U.S., there's a lot of macro trends around the more racial ethnicities and minorities becoming some of the fastest growing population segments in the U.S. and a gap not just in linguistics, but also around cultural stigmas that may be unique barriers for some of these other populations to achieve mental health care. So how do you kind of think about the multicultural element of mental health care in relation to spring health? It's tremendously important to think about when we're building our global solution and we're very sensitive to it. And I would say it's the primary reason why we've waited until this point to really allocate resources against going global. So some of our peers have gotten global before us. We really wanted to go global, quote unquote, in a very intentional way that delivers services that are appropriate to each population that we're serving. So localization is top of mind cultural competency is top of mind. And so that's why it's one of three big focuses with the 200 million or so that we've raised. Uh, we're, we're putting a lot of money behind getting it right. And as part of that process, is it a lot of looking at providers in the local networks and marrying the cultural competence angle with the way you think about adapting some of the data collection and information collection to be salient for some of these populations? Yeah. So, you know, we will make, um, we will obviously be iterative in our approach and and only get better and better at localization. So I'm not um, saying that it'll be perfect from the get-go, but, you know, we have a highly personalized mission. And so we want to bring that personalization um, globally as well. So our care navigation, our care support, our providers, we want them all to be locally competent. And so that will be possible through a number of different things and decisions that we make. And um, hopefully over time, we'll we'll get better and better at the personalization on a global scale. And then on this harmonizing the workplace productivity with mental health care, what are some of the internal initiatives that Spring Health is piloting on this focus area? Ooh, so many things. So, you know, it's anything from calm Fridays, which is essentially no meeting Friday. So, you know, we deliberately chose Friday because if people need the three-day weekend to recharge, then they can. But if they want to take Fridays to work and catch up, they they can also do that. And so that's one example of, of what we've done. But, you know, something that I'm very excited about is building really a team around the science of harmonizing mental health and high performance. And I, I think that there is already some literature and research around how to harmonize those two things. I don't think that they've been applied. The research hasn't yet been applied at scale in the real world yet. And so I really want to build a team of you know, experts, essentially, of a, of a data science team members and you know, psychologists and, and others to, to really you know, look through the research and figure out you know, what can we apply to our workforce, but what can we experiment with within our, our workforce and how do we use those experiments to continually optimize on the mental health and, and performance of the team? And that methodology sounds like a bread and butter view of the way Spring Health operates in general, of taking in valid academic research, 
building some data and looking at the machine learning behind it and then coming out with recommendations for how to improve the operation. So definitely feels like a consistent theme in the way Spring Health has been able to be successful and reinforce its success. Yeah, absolutely. Now that Spring Health has gone through several rounds of major funding, curious what you look for in investors. Because I'm sure at this point, people have come to you wanting to invest. And I'm sure you've had to turn down some others and really look for a fit within your investors. So are there any lessons that you can kind of share with our listeners in terms of what you consider when you're looking at investors? Yes, we've had an incredible amount of demand from investors who join us. And we've been very fortunate to have competitive rounds every step of the way. I would say it's, it's gotten even more competitive and there's been even more demand as we've not only grown, but as mental health as a category has grown and really become more of a, a priority for these firms. And so, you know, we've been fortunate to have multiple term sheets at every round. And so the key things that we look for from investors are, you know, one, mission alignment and vision alignment. So we don't necessarily want to work with investors who want to flip this in a few years or get, you know, get their return in, in, in a few years and you know, call it a day and maybe exit to another company or IPO very quickly and then you know, call it a day. We want investors who are long-term oriented and who really buy into this idea that Spring Health will, will be the next mental health giant of, of the future. So that's the, the most important thing. The second important thing is deep healthcare expertise and fit. That was very important to us in this round. It makes a huge difference when your investor is intimately familiar with the digital health go-to-markets and understands the, the dynamics of the industry. Of, the, of some of the challenges and some of the advantages of being in the industry. It's really advantageous when the investor can surround you with a network that can accelerate your growth. So that was very important to us. And then the third piece that was very important to us was a true commitment to diversity. So as a woman of color who is CEO of this business, diversity has always been incredibly important to me. And I'm, I'm really proud to say that we track diversity internally uh, weekly at Spring Health because we grow so quickly week over week um, and in terms of headcount. And you know we're 43% people of color at Spring Health. We're 15% Black. We're you know 60% female at Spring Health. And these are really, really good diversity stats. And I, I want to maintain that. And it's very, very important to me, not just broadly in our employee base, but also you know, I want to make sure that our leadership team is, is diverse as well and our board is diverse as well. And so having an investor who is aligned with that is so important and not just aligned you know, in the abstract sense or, or just in, in principle, but really aligned in, in a concrete sense that it impacts the way that they behave and impacts the way that they invest. That was really important to, to us. So you know, all of those things aligned for us with Shinovic, who led our last round. And I'm really proud that they're a new partner of ours. It's really exciting. I love the three pieces you mentioned, especially this piece around diversity, because I think it's one of these buzzwords that are thrown around in the industry a lot across all different sectors. But when you really look at the hard numbers, so some of the stats that you were reflecting about Spring Health, they don't really add up to a dedicated institutional commitment to diversity. And I think that's a lot of the critique, especially within VCs, because the VC investor base often looks very different from some of the companies that they might be investing in. So it's interesting yeah, to see that yeah. Spring Health is kind of pushing forward that commitment and that standard. On VCs, yeah, 
I'm also interested in understanding how you balance kind of the priorities of some of your investors with some of the things that you want to grow with, especially as you think about sequential growth and when you choose to launch or grow certain segments of the business. Have you found that it's been challenging at times to make sure that you're incorporating investor feedback, but also prioritizing what you know is the right way to run and grow Spring Health? Yeah. I think that's why it's so important to have a board that's you know fundamentally vision aligned with you as the founder. And it's so important, or your board members are so important. And we've taken great care at every step of our journey to ensure that our board is supportive of, of our long-term vision for precisely the reason that you just mentioned. Um, we don't want to grow in a way that is unsustainable or reckless or you know, at odds with our, our long-term vision. So I would say it's less about like pleasing investors and more about for me, it's it, our, our aggressive growth rate is more about seizing the opportunity at hand. Um, I, I tell my team this market might not be a winner takes all market. Um, it could be multiple winners take all. But if it does happen to be a winner takes all market, we better win <laughs> because not because you know we like to win. I like to win, but you know that's not the point. The point is to have the opportunity to have the biggest impact possible. You know, ultimately for for every single person at Spring, we are motivated so much by impact. And how do you maximize impact? By ensuring that you have the opportunity to have that impact. And, and you know, in a winner takes all dynamic, it means that we, we, we have to win. And so that's why we are so aggressive about scaling and then growing as quickly as possible. Has COVID impacted Springhouse near-term, mid-term or long-term strategy? Yeah, it's, it's accelerated our, our growth plans. I, I remember March of last year where, when just felt like the world shut down and everyone kind of freaked out and didn't know what was going to happen. And things came to a halt for, for us too, in that there was like a two week period where nothing really happened. And we were um, really just trying to surround our employees with support and trying to just foster community in, in our, in our employees to, to kind of alleviate some of the anxiety that was, that was just like omnipresent in the world at the time. But it became very clear in about a month that COVID was just going to accelerate all of our plans. We started getting demand off cycle. So our business is very seasonal because we're a benefits company. Most of our business comes in Q3, Q4, but we started to see very in, in Q2, a lot of demand coming in very quickly. And so we essentially modified our plans to be more aggressive um, once COVID hit. I would imagine too, both from the way that employers are thinking about healthcare and also just the native demand that's coming from their employee base with everyone being at home and mental health becoming less stigmatized and more awareness around it. So definitely see kind of the long-term trends stemming from COVID. And now employees are familiar with this benefit. So stickiness built in to the way that a lot of different employers and employees who may have signed on during COVID see even after COVID, if there is an after COVID in terms of their healthcare benefits and mental health care. Yeah, absolutely. In this last section, I'd love to learn a little bit about your experience as an entrepreneur and see if you have any general thoughts or advice for our listeners, who some of whom are interested in starting their own companies and a lot of whom are healthcare professionals themselves. The first question I have here, and it's something that is also really important to me is just what your experience was like as a founder of a company coming from demographics as a female of color. What were some of the challenges you faced or opportunities that were created? 
So I was 24 when I started the company, very young. I was also a woman. I was also Korean. I am still Korean. Uh, and, uh, you know, all those things, those three things presented challenges, you know, being young in a, uh, an industry that is dominated by older white men was, was definitely challenging. And I would say in healthcare, it's, um, ageism is particularly relevant because it's, a, it's an industry that's dominated by MDs and, and people who have, you know, reached certain age, certain, you know, level of experience, et cetera. So I was young. I was called green so often. And I was also a woman. So there was a tremendous amount of sexism. Healthcare is notoriously sexist and, and patriarchal, unfortunately, still. And, you know, I was Korean. And I don't think, you know, I, I struggled as a person of color per se by racism, but I was Korean. And in Korean culture, um, age is really important. And so I was just trying to just like get over age for a lot of my, my five years. And really in Korean culture, it's, it's extremely rigid, the hierarchy around age. And so it took me a while to just get used to, you know, having employees who are much older than me, et cetera. And so there were definitely challenges. And I think that people, you get a lot of like little girl, like cute little girl treatment early on, or just amused by, by you and don't take you seriously. But at the same time, I think being being young um, or rather being inexperienced in, in the business of healthcare helps us a lot in really having clean slate thinking, um, really thinking or questioning every element of, of the complexity of, of the U.S. healthcare system. Um, it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> it makes sense. The U.S. healthcare system makes sense the longer that you're in it, but you have to like con consciously deprogram yourself to thinking that it's normal because a lot of the complexity is unnecessary. And that was very obvious to us when we, when we got started. And so innovating and disrupting the space actually came a little bit more naturally. So that was the big advantage of starting the company at a younger age. And given you have a co-founder, how do you think about leveraging your co-founder, especially as you talk about some of the challenges you faced from identity and experience gap perspective? starting the company? Yeah. Well, first off, I have to say Spring Health would not be here without my fabulous co-founder and, and everything that he's done for the business. And I'm just so lucky ultimately to have such an amazing co-founder. Um, so he, he is Dr. Adam Chakru, he's PhD. And, you know, I have to say, you know, given our youth, I really leaned into his PhD <laughs> and mentioned it wherever we went and, you know, took him to a lot of meetings because he just added so much scientific credibility to, to these conversations that we were having, especially early on. And, you know, ultimately finding a co-founder is not easy. I started uh, my first company with, with a few other schoolmates and that experience taught me that co-founders are everything. You know, the dynamic among co-founders is, is the most important thing to get right in startups. And so that my big takeaway from that experience was that it's like dating. You know, you don't get married, aka start a company after dating someone for a few months. You really, you should date someone for like a, you know, significant period of time before you get married. And it's very similar for co-founders. And so for me, you know, I obviously, we as co-founders became friends very quickly, but we tried a lot of micro projects together um, initially to just feel out the dynamic before we really committed to each other and incorporated the business. And every project, whether it was a grant proposal, whether it was a pitch contest, whether it was 
this or that competition, you know, not only were we successful, but it also gave us the opportunity to, to realize that the chemistry and the dynamic was really positive, which led us to ultimately found the company together. And then when you think about the company culture of Spring Health more broadly, because the organization is so mission-oriented and you look for certain aspects around diversity, metrics, et cetera, what do you look for when you assemble your Spring Health team? So we have six values and we really do try to hire against those values. And I think those those six values really capture the, the essence of a successful Spring Health and, uh, team member. So the first is mission alignment. So one of our values is members come first. So it, is the person just so passionate about fixing mental health care? Do they have a personal connection to mental health? Like why, why do they care about our mission? The second value that we have is move fast to change lives. Um, that's for me means speed. Uh, speed is everything in, in today's world and, and you know the dynamics of our economy today and, and the startup landscape. And so it's so important that each person, you know, works with a level of speed and urgency and intention. Um, and so we, we really bet for that. Our next value is take ownership. So we look for people who are radical owners. So people who are self-aware, they take ownership of their mistakes. They're able to apologize and learn from or their failures. They go above and beyond their scope of responsibility to have success for the company. So take ownership is a big one. Diversity is a huge value of ours. Um, the, the value that we have is embrace diverse teams and perspectives. Um, we really look for, we're intentionally trying to build a diverse team, of course, but we're also looking for team members who value diversity as, as much as we do. Our next value is candor with care. We want to be honest and open and transparent and direct, but we want to do that with care and we want to do it empathetically. And then the final value that we vet for is science will win. So we are our genesis is really in academia, and uh, we have a very strong kind of scientific DNA. And so we that for people who are data driven, who gravitate towards using data and metrics and science to evaluate their decisions. And how do you yourself balance the speed, the kind of work never sleeps mentality of entrepreneurship, especially as you're growing Spring Health increasingly over the near term with kind of this workplace sustainability around personal health, whether it's mental health, spiritual health, physical health? Yeah, such a good question. And this is precisely why we're assembling a team around you know, mental health and performance. We want to get it right because our entire mission starts to crumble if we ourselves are not fostering a mentally healthy workplace for our own employees. I think you know a few thoughts here. One is my mental health thrives when I am applying myself to a really challenging and fast-paced Goal. I've just noticed that you know when I'm not applying myself and when I'm not you know trying to break barriers or you know, when I'm not trying to do something fundamentally hard, it actually is damaging to my mental health. And so we do think that there is an opportunity to harmonize mental health and really challenging environments. So that's the first piece that I wanted to mention. But the second piece is that I am prone to burnout. I have burned out over the course of spring health on multiple occasions. And, you know, we, we can be so passionate about what we do, but still burn out. And so for us, recovery is imperative to ultimately going faster. So essentially I think about it as a series of sprints. So athletes who are sprinting, they, they have to rest after sprinting in order to sprint faster their next go around and in order to improve continually. And so recovery is so, so important. And that's why we have unlimited you know, days off at Spring Health. 
I model vacation for the rest of my team. I consistently ask my team whether they're taking vacations, whether they have vacations scheduled. I encourage them to take more days off and I encourage them to completely take off when they're going on vacation and not like pseudo, you know, go to the beach, but also answer emails. I I ask them to completely shut off. And that's imperative to like long-term sustainability for us um, and our performance. And then the last question I have is really, if you have any just general thoughts or advice for our listeners based on your experiences, it can really be about anything. Favorite shows you're watching to even, you know, just advice. Um, yeah. You've seen Squid Games. Um, but <laughs> yeah, I would say like the first thing is do, if you're going to start something, do something that you sincerely care deeply about because it's too hard otherwise. Like, Ultimately, it gets to a point where you question whether it's worth it. And if you don't care deeply about what you're working on, it's probably not worth it. So that's the first piece of advice. And then the second piece of advice is that I um, read and I I gift this book very often, but it was a life-changing book for me. And it's a very simple book. It's called The Dip by Seth Godin. And the basic premise of the book or what I took away from the book is that everyone quits when it gets hard or everyone try, wants to quit when it gets hard and the people who succeed are the people who don't quit but also it's unhealthy to never quit and so you know the, the best way to get ahead of wanting to quit is when you start a journey or when you set out on a path decide when you're going to quit like what is the criteria for quitting and keep that promise to yourself and don't quit until you get to that point. 